You're listening to Hooked on Creek, a podcast celebrating the music, history, and fans of the legendary jam band Max Creek. I am your host, Corey Johnson, and you are listening to episode 25. Thank you for tuning in to Hooked on Creek. This is another very special episode because it features a recent conversation I had with musician Gary Backstrom. Gary first made a name for himself in the jam band scene as the guitarist and vocalist in the band Jiggle the Handle that played together from 1989 through 2001. But in addition to Jiggle the Handle, Gary's musical career has included a number of different projects and bands, including the Gary Backstrom Band. And over the years, Gary has been part of a variety of musical collaborations with current and former members of Max Creek. As you can probably guess, Gary is a huge fan of Max Creek, and we had a lot to talk about. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. The music that kicked off this episode and that's playing in the background right now is Max Creek's performance of Love Makes You Lose Your Mind, featuring special guest Gary Backstrom, recorded live at Sterling Stage on September 4th, 1999 in Hannibal, New York. In the episode show notes, you'll find links to connect with Gary and learn more about his music. And if you head over to hookedoncreek.com, you can also read a full transcript of our conversation. And while you're there, click the contact link and let me know what you think of this podcast. If you have suggestions on topics to cover or people to interview, I would love to hear from you. All right, now let's get started. Gary Backstrom, thanks for joining me on Hooked on Creek. Thanks for having me, Corey. I would love to start our conversation by learning how you first became exposed to the music of Max Creek. <laughs> All right. So I have a very clear memory of how I was exposed to it. Um, I was at a friend's 16th birthday party. They rented a hotel. It was one of those, you know, let's get a hotel and we can, you know, we can get alcohol and, you know, stay here and not get in trouble. And I think we eventually got kicked out. Uh, <laughs> but actually, my friend Bob Bielski, who was like a year older than me, who's a big Creek head, um, uh, was playing Max Creek on the on a boombox. You know, he had tapes. So he, uh, way back then, you know, just like the Grateful Dead, Max Creek had tapers. So Creek tapes would get traded a lot. And... um he kept playing it and playing it and saying, oh, this is really great. And I, uh, you know, this is just, I don't care if the dead come around. I'm just going to go see, you know, Max Creek. And, and I'm like, I don't, I wasn't getting it. I'm like, oh, right. Cause I was, I had just got into the dead and I was kind of nuts about them. And then one day, not soon, it was probably maybe, I don't know, probably a month or two later, those same group, group of people or the same group of people, uh, kind of not kidnapped me, but they said, look, we're going, <laughs> you're going to go. So Max Creek used to play an, um, an all ages show at this place called Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel in Providence, Rhode Island. That was every Wednesday night. That was like their long standing. I don't know how long they had been doing it for, but I, I want to say from the early eighties up until 80, well past 86, but 86 was when I first went. And we went, and I had no expectations at all. I knew nothing about them except little clip 
of music I heard and I left just dumbfounded. That was like, wow, that was the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so good. So by the time you saw Max Creek, you were already playing guitar or what were you doing at that point in time? Yep. I was already playing. So let's just say in high school, which was not long before that, um, I was super into, yeah, I think I went through the heavy metal phase that uh, most um, boys my age do and, you know, getting into like uh, uh, Led Zeppelin and Ozzy Osbourne and Van Halen, um, uh, ACDC and all that kind of thing, which I, I really still love. Um uh, but then I had gone through a period of, oh, geez, what else is out there? And started discovering, you know, Santana and, um, the dead Pink Floyd, um, I guess bands that would be more, or little feet, like more, more jazzy and more eclectic and not, um, not as much like hard rock, I guess you would say, if that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I think in my pursuit of that type of music, I, you know, I was sort of, I guess, crossing like a, a bridge. And and I had a, a group, a band at the time, and I wanted to play that type of music. Like Santana was one that always came up for me. I just wanted to do what they were doing. So You said you were in a high school band and you were already pre- kind of playing that music a little bit? A little bit, just starting to dabble in it. Um, actually, probably in 11th grade. And and I went to my first Grateful Dead show in 11th grade also. And that was a big, big eye-opener as to this whole scene. It was like, what is this? <laughs> so the Grateful Dead went through a bit of a transition there too mm-hmm. in the late 80s from being popular to being really popular or at least being high level of awareness, I'll say. <laughs> yes, I, I think I caught uh, two years of going to Grateful Dead shows before, or three years before it became that In the Dark album got really big. And we used to call them In the Darkies, like the people that would come to shows that just started to come. The same people that would make fun of you, you know, in high school, like two years before for wearing a tie-dye. You know, they'd be like, what are you listening to that crap? What is that? Blah, blah, blah. And then like, you'd go and you'd turn a corner and you're running into them in the parking lot, you know? You'd be like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? <laughs> I escape you when I come here. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. So when you were listening to, like, The Grateful Dead and Santana, were you picking up a little bit of that vibe in Max Creek. There was a connection there. Or what were you hearing in Max Creek maybe that you weren't hearing in The Grateful Dead? Maybe that's a better way to phrase the question. Yeah. So I think they bridged uh, some things that, um, hmm, they they had qualities of other bands that I liked that The Dead did not have. Um, not better or worse, just different. Like They did some things that sounded a lot like The Talking Heads to me. In fact, there were times when I felt like more than sounding like the dead, they sounded like the talking heads on, on a lot. There were a lot of their jams and things. And I think they might've been pretty influenced by them. I really loved that. Um, and little feet uh, with Mark's piano playing in that sort of honky tonk style that they get into. Uh, I was definitely loving that. And, um, and sometimes it would just get super, psychedelic to the what's the almost like in a pink floyd way you know in more of a spooky kind of elongated like dark sort of thing which was really nice um 
And I don't know. And, and, and so, and at the time I, I felt like the Grateful Dead weren't, they weren't jamming like they did uh, on the tapes that I had got, you know, I had a lot of tapes from the seventies that my tape trading friends gave me. And I'm like, when I went to see the shows, they weren't really taking it out like they used to, you know, where they'll play one song and go off on like a 10 minute jam into another song into a really good 10 minute jam and then one more song. And then before you know it, there's only four songs in the set, but they just took you on this journey. And, and that's what Max Creek were doing. And I felt like, Oh, these guys are, are real. They're still doing this. Like this really cutting edge improv. It made my head spin. I was just like, I hadn't witnessed anything like that in person, you know? And so I think to see it for me was the first time. And I just, I was like, what? <laughs> I just remember leaving there, just like, you know, on fire. Just like, that was so incredible. I don't know. I'm trying to picture you as a, a teenager in one of these clubs. And these are not necessarily big venues either. So you're, it's a relatively intimate experience. Is that right? Yep. There was the, like, they had half the club if you were uh, under, under 18 or under 21. I think the drinking laws were different in Rhode Island. You had to stay on this side of the line. <laughs> and if you were older, you got to go on the other side. Yeah, it was small. I got to, you became part of this group of people that went, everybody knew everybody. It was very intimate, sweaty, kind of nasty. <laughs> um, there'd be a lot of slam dancing. We used to slam dance because there was still, the punk thing was still kind of happening. Um, so we, it had like an edginess to it also that I think maybe being 80s kids that, I also thirsted for, for like, it did at times also have like a little bit of a punk kind of uh, like kind of vibe to it, you know. Scott Hall wanted me to ask you a question about um, a memory he had, I think, of you recruiting dead fans to Max Creek shows. Can you tell me about that? All right. This is probably one of the most obnoxious things I've ever done in my life. But I, <laughs> I liked Max Creek so much. And I went to a Grateful Dead show in Colorado and I was just not... It was just not, it, I just wasn't feeling it. And I got really mad because I spent like $90 on a ticket, you know. And they were just having an off night. Um, but I was like, oh. So at the time, I, I made a sign um, near where people would walk in. And I, and I said, if you would like to see a really incredible band, here's directions <laughs> <laughs> to Rhode Island from Colorado <laughs> every Wednesday night. <laughs> at, at Lupo's, if you're there, um, you know, go check these guys out. And I'm sure plenty of people already knew about it, but um, it was my way of, I felt like I wanted to uh, salute them, you know. Um, you know, when, when you're, you know, when you're 19 years old, you do silly things. Um, and you also think, oh, you know, the Grateful Dead are having a bad night. Oh, that's it. You know, they had plenty of great shows after that. I was just mad. I think it was my birthday. And I'd spent ninety to a hundred dollars on a ticket, and I thought, "Oh man, this is you know, it's just not happening." And I would never get that at a Creek show. It was always like every time, it was just they were firing on all pistons. So Grateful Dead lovers, don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> so then, as you're developing as a musician and you're starting to become more exposed to these types of bands how did take me up to where like jiggle the handle formed or how how were you developing your bands and, and your musical career um right so <laughs> right out of high school i had a band called ice nine and it was 
we did a lot of cover. It was mostly cover songs. Um, with a, but I started writing a little bit and it was a lot of leftover friends from high school that, you know, I played with and, um, and we played a lot of parties and things like that. Um, but then it started to kind of fizzle and not, we ended up just not playing a lot and I really wanted to play all the time. And, and to the, you know, and really was at a Grateful Dead show. I remember watching the Grateful Dead and thinking, man, I want to do that. I want to do what they're doing, you know? Um, obviously that one bad night was one bad night. I saw many amazing dead shows after that. And there was one in like 87 or 88, uh, at Foxborough stadium. And I just thought, wow, these guys are so great. This is really what I want to do. And I wanted to play all the time And the, the group of friends from high school, we just weren't, we just weren't all on the same page. Um, so a friend of a friend <laughs> um, knew this band called All You Can Eat in, in Worcester, Massachusetts. They were all going to Clark University, and they needed a singer for um, a Battle of the Bands show. And they uh, they asked me if I would do it. So we rehearsed, and um, they added me in as a guitar player singer, and we won. And we got a bunch of gigs out of it we just sort of hit it off and it made this splash and that morphed into jiggle the handle we changed the name um uh i don't know maybe six months later um, and then we started to play around worcester that was our our stomping ground <laughs> college parties and things like that so that was 1989 and that mm-hmm. carried on through i think 2001 but there were different sort of iterations of the band, I would imagine, over that period of time? Right. So, yes. In fact, um, one person that you should have on, and I talked to him if you want to ever have Harry on. Harry Bridge was in the band before me. He's the bass player. And he and I developed a really strong, bonded friendship. And um, Dave Osoff was the keyboard player, and Jay Gillies was the drummer, and we were a four-piece. And that lasted through... 1995, but between 90 and 95, um, we actually started getting booked by the same booking company that booked Max Creek. Oh, lucky me. <laughs> lucky us. So they had us opening for them a lot. And um, that was a real dream come true. I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, I get to open for, you know, those guys were like my heroes. And um, and then got to meet them and um you know, eventually become friends um, as our band was doing better and better. Um, but I owe so much to, to them for many reasons. Um, stylistically, just learning uh, how to play that style of music, just watching them was like, it was like a free music lesson every time, you know, I'd walk out of there like, oh, that's how you do that. Oh, that's how you do that. And Scott was a huge influence on my playing. He's, I studied his playing hardcore. I just fell in love with everything he does. I still love his playing so much. Um, and they're all great guys. They're, I feel like they were like big brothers to us, you know. Was Jiggle the Handle relatively uh, a group of young musicians at that time? I mean, yeah, we were like 21 around there. So Max Creek, I guess, had been around for a while even then. And so that, yeah, you could kind of look up to them and, 
Yeah, we were definitely all like, oh, <laughs> there they are. <laughs> I became, I became pretty good friends with Mark off the bat. Um, <laughs> I handed him a cassette of Jiggle the Handle at one of their shows before we ever opened. And I remember <laughs> him laughing so hard at the name. <laughs> I go, hey, Mark. He goes, hey. I go, I really, you know, hey, uh, can I give you a demo tape? He goes, sure. <laughs> he goes, what's the name of the band? And he looked at it and just burst out laughing. I, oh, God. <laughs> I didn't know whether to be embarrassed or, or if that was good. But uh, so we've been friends for, I think he and I, out of anyone in that band, are are, are the closest. Um, and we ended up doing a lot of uh, duos together just with piano and guitar. Um, mm-hmm. So what was the jam band scene like during the, I don't know, early, mid or late 90s? Um, well, it morphed a lot. Um, uh, in the early nineties, uh, it was very driven by bands like the spin doctors, which we opened for a lot also, um, by blues traveler, uh, Dave Matthews and fish. All of those bands were at kind of the same level. Um, and fish were around Boston, you know? So they used to play parties of, you know, friends' houses. And um, uh, there was a band called Chakra. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were an early 90s jam band. There was definitely like this early 90s wave. And I guess we got in right there when that happened. Um, God Street Wine would be another one. Um, uh, or what about Aquarium Rescue Unit was also big. Widespread Panic. Anyway, those... They were all coming out of the gate, and they had the Horde Festival. Are you aware of? Yeah. So that exploded, and that made Dave Matthews, Spin Doctors, Blues Traveler, that widespread. All those bands got really big because they kind of bonded together, you know, and and I think they helped each other um, ride that wave, and it kind of blew up by the you know the mid the mid nineties. Which is interesting because Max Creek had already been doing this stuff, right, since the 70s. Mm-hmm. So Mark used to tell me of just seeing waves of trends, you know, come and go and come and go and come and go, which I thought was interesting to have that perspective um, if you've been playing for that long, you know. As you were growing as a musician, was it natural for you to develop your live performances with improvisation as a key ingredient? Once I heard that kind of music, yeah, yeah, that's all I wanted to do. Um, in fact, <laughs> yeah, the longer the, the longer the jam, as long as it was good, the more I was into it. So <laughs> I gravitated on Grateful Dead to I would listen to a lot of stuff from like you know seventy two to seventy five. Not that they didn't jam before or after that, but um, I just really loved that time period because I felt like they really hit this crazy peak where I just would hear things and I couldn't believe it was all being made up on the spot. You know, I was like, wow, I want to do that. You know? Um, so I think I just got bit and I by that bug and that's just what I wanted to do. Uh, experimental, you know, improv. In an earlier episode of this podcast, Greg DeGuglielmo describes successful improvisation as being in the flow, this universal flow that seems to connect each of the band members together along with the audience 
and this flow seems to exist outside the thinking mind. And uh, I really enjoyed hearing Greg describe it that way. So I'm curious how you would describe what happens when a jam develops organically on stage. Yeah, he's really good at that. He was the drummer for Creek when I first started seeing them. Um, yeah, and he and I have gotten to play a lot together. We're also very good friends. Um, in fact, he, he was the first drummer I ever got to play with that knew how to do that. And when when it would happen, and it happened <laughs> a lot, he, he started playing with us in the uh, mid-90s. We, we um, started filling in. We had a thing happen where we didn't have the same drummer anymore, and we were trying people out, and he was available. And it, it it's right. It feels like... Um, it feels like there's something else driving uh, the car. <laughs> you're just you're sitting there, kind of facilitating it. Um, but yeah, it feels well. You know, I guess you could equate it to when people go to a church, maybe, and they say they feel the spirit, right? They feel the Holy Spirit or chi. If you're doing martial arts, it's this sort of encompassing energy. If you're into Star Wars, I guess it's the force. Yeah, it feels like it's 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 if everyone let, really lets go too at the same time and gives into it and um it it's wild. It's really cool. Everyone'll start playing the same ideas together, but it's not spoken. No one said, "Hey, let's do this." It's almost like you start reading each other's minds. But yeah, it almost feels like I remember one night we had Mark actually and Greg playing with us, Greg DiGuglielmo and Mark on keys, because we also had our keyboard seat <laughs> was vacant. So those guys, we really started to play a lot together at that time, and they were so good at it. I again, I had never experienced it on that level until playing with them. And I remember thinking, "Wow, we're, we're all four of us are playing." Me, Harry. Mark and Greg DeGoog. And, but yet it felt like there was this other thing doing it. Like we were just sitting there at like vessels and it was just coming through. And I remember like feeling like I was floating off the ground. It was such a cool, cool thing. And it kept going and going and going and going. And I'm like, is this going to stop? But it didn't need to because it wasn't boring. It was going with like a lot of intensity and excitement. So, how did you get introduced to Greg Vasso and where did that friendship start? It's funny, they had two Gregs, and they're both Italian. <laughs> Vasso de Guglielmo, back-to-back. Um, Greg de Gug left, and one night I went to uh, see them. Um, in the, uh, I guess it was like 90 or 91. That's this place in Boston, and I'm like, wait, Greg's not there. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> Who is that guy on drums? And uh, I didn't realize what had happened. And... Uh, so I went and stood behind him and I watched him play all night, you know, right from behind the, the kit. And I remember thinking, ooh, this guy's really good. Like I didn't think anybody could sort of, you know, Greg DeGoog had big shoes to fill. Like he's a powerhouse. And uh, so I was very skeptical. <laughs> like this isn't going to be good. But it was fantastic. Um, and, and Greg Vasso has his own style. Um, when we first started opening for them, we hung out. He was having a cigarette. We were hanging out outside, and we just bumped into each other. I gave him a tape, and we just hit it off. We just started talking, and that happened a few times. And then he listened to us and said, hey, you guys sound really great. 
and we just sort of struck up a friendship. So anytime we'd play together, we'd, we'd hang out. Soon after that, we started doing these shows called Jiggle the Creek, which I, I think would have been Greg Vasso, Harry Bridge from Jiggle, the original bass player, me and Mark. And we would do these a string of shows where we'd do some Creek songs and some Jiggle songs. And it was really cool to sort of bring both groups of fans together. Then we really started hanging out and becoming friends because we were practicing, you know, uh, together. How long did Jiggle the Creek last? How many shows, I guess, did that go on for? Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. I, we did a lot, I think, between 95 and 96 because there was like a – we didn't have a solid keyboard player at that point. So we we did a lot of shows that way. Um I think we might have done some into the late nineties just cause we liked it and it was fun. Um, that might've been the last time sometime in the late nineties. As a musician though, it sounds like you had maybe a handful of side projects. So tell me about Zodiac Mambo. <laughs> All right. So that was basically, I think me, <clears throat> Greg DeGoog, Harry and uh, Mark wanting to do something after not playing together for a while. So yeah, that was like a 2004, maybe, around there, three or four. I think originally the idea was we were going to write a bunch of new songs and have it be a thing um, where we got to do different cover songs that we didn't get to do anywhere else and new originals. <clears throat> um, I think it just really turned out to be more of a Jiggle the Creek thing, <laughs> but <laughs> with a different name. Um, and though, again both Greg's are just like, I feel so blessed to be able to play with either of those drummers. Cause they're, they would just kick your butt, you know, in a good way. You know, I guess it's like playing sports with somebody that's really good. You know, you get your ass handed to you. <laughs> the first time I played with Mark and, and Greg Vasso at, I think it was Pearl street in Northampton, Massachusetts. At the end of the show, I felt like I had gotten beaten up by a gang, but it was the best. It was just so great. I'm like, I, I, I was, I couldn't sleep. You know, it was like just so exhilarating. But I could barely keep up. You know, those guys have been playing for so long, and they were so seasoned. You know, it was just, it was like getting thrown in the ring with like a, you know, like a heavyweight. You know, boxing. <laughs> just getting the crap beaten out of you. But it was such a great learning experience, you know. It sounds like you and your bandmates all sort of struck up some pretty good friendships with those members of Max Creek. And mm -hmm. is that sort of what also then led to, is it Moss on a Rock? That extends <laughs> an extension of your friendship with Mark, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yep, I would say me and Mark, uh, I still are really good friends, although I haven't seen him as much lately. Yep, that was uh, the two of us would just do duo things. Greg DeGoog and Harry Bridge, I would say, paired up as still, you know, really good friends. In fact, Greg sometimes flies to California and they they hang out. That's where Harry ended up moving to. And me and Greg Vasso. Greg Vasso is my child's godfather. We're very involved and <clears throat> we've done uh, a Paul Simon project together where we do all Paul Simon music. And so we, we play together a lot still. Tell me about the Gary Backstrom band. So after Jiggle stopped, I wanted to keep doing something similar. Um, but, you know, I didn't feel right using the name because there wasn't anyone else in the group but me. Um, 
So I thought, well, you know, I could make a new band name. Or then I looked at people that I really like, like other musicians like So Santana, Stevie Wonder, Todd Rundgren. Those three people right there are probably some of my, they are their biggest influences in outside of what we just talked about. And I looked at them and I thought, geez, you know, Stevie Wonder. And he, and he has whoever in the band. Like, it changes. It kept, uh, Santana, if you look at how many people have played in that group, you know, there was the original lineup. And then it, if you follow it, like on a, on a Wikipedia, you'd be blown away at how many different people have come and gone. And Todd Rundgren, same thing. Between YouTube, the band Utopia and even that band morphed and changed. But... I thought, geez, if I just play under my own name, I know I've been doing this long enough because Jigglehead, believe it or not, 13 drummers over the course of the whole time <laughs> we played. That's a Fabio whole podcast by itself. I'd be completely dumb to think that that's not going to happen and people aren't going to change. And It's changed like one, two, we're probably in the fourth incarnation at this point. And I just didn't want to have it be like, well, you know, these people are gone, so I can't even call it what we called it, whatever it was. I just It felt to me like a way to hold up uh, the door open. If people come and go, that's fine. And there's no animosity. It's just it cha- things change, you know. And, you know, I don't think Santana was yelling at people when they left or, or you know what I'm saying, like, or, or if something didn't work out. You know, this is how it is. And that way I thought I could focus on the brand of music, the songs. Um, and that's, that would be the focus and whoever's in the group. Great. Are you always writing songs? Is this a, you, you need a band as a place to put your songs. Is that it? Or is there something else? Um, I will write whether I have a band or not. Um, and I will record them either in a studio or in my own studio but so I've gone through a lot of dry spells, um, but that has changed lately, which is great. I started to write. <laughs> I feel like that's the one thing you have to do is you have to write. And, and I kick myself because I've gone through periods where I just have not written and I've played. I, I mean, some of the songs I play, I wrote God, in the early 90s, you know, and they're they're popular with the people that come out, you know. When we opened for Max Creek, we played one of these songs. It's called Invisible. I wrote the chorus when I was in high school. <clears throat> and uh, and the whole theater knew the words, you know. We played it. And <laughs> and the, the the words are, I'm invisible to you. You don't even see me. And it was so cool. I'd sing, I'm invisible to you. And everybody in the audience saying, you don't even see me. And I was not expecting that. I was like, whoa, that's so cool. So I don't stop playing songs if they still feel good. Right, but if I outgrow them and it's like I can't relate to these lyrics, I'll stop. Um, just because it's so hard to sing about, you know, cars and French fries <laughs> or whatever. If you're, if that's not your thing, you know what I mean, or, or something that you used to do, you know, uh, I, and that you've just outgrown. So, yeah, I feel like you. For me, it, it would be horrible if I never produced anything new. So. Um, I, I'm trying to just really make that like the focus right now. It's writing new stuff. 
I understand you're also providing music lessons as well. Is that another way for you to lean into this love of music? Um, that's another way for me to pay the bills. I love to teach music. I really do. Early on, I did not. I was very begrudging about it, and I love it. I I teach all ages. You know, I have students that are pushing 70, and I have little kids. I, I just have fallen in love with it. Um, so that's sort of my main uh, day job as far as making money goes, is teaching. Every time I teach someone a lesson, I learn something, and... I just love seeing people get good at it. You know, it just bring it makes me happy. Like when the student comes and they've practiced something and they got it, I'm like, yes! <laughs> I jump up and down. You know, it's exciting. When a student asks you, you know, how do I make it in the music industry? What do you tell them? Don't quit. If somebody really asked me that question, like they said, I really want to do this. Um, if they're young enough, I'd say play as much as possible. It's different now, though. Like when in the in the '90s, <clears throat> it was way more grassroots. You know, you would just play as much as possible. Maybe that's still the case. I don't, I don't know. We the internet wasn't. It was just becoming a thing. You know. Um. I I guess I would just say you, the longer you stay in it, the better your chances are of picking up an audience and uh, becoming a like a fixed, it's almost like you're a plant, right? Or like you're like moss on a rock where you grow, right? You, you, but if you don't, you know, if you quit, that's not going to happen. And there's been times when I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why this is too hard. You know, I, I mean, I could spend a whole podcast telling you crazy stories about touring the country and, you know, the, <laughs> the whole band ready to kill each other and just, just crazy things. Like, leaving our sound guy in Las Vegas to fix a, a van while the whole band rents a U-Haul and drives with half the band stuffed in the back of the U-Haul illegally to California while waiting for, you know, our sound guy to fix the van while he ends up in the hospital because he gets hit in the head with a rock that, you know, uh, from a, from a truck. There's all these disaster stories that we sucked it up and made it through. I think you have to just be ready to, um, to well, you can while you don't have kids, um, <laughs> especially to do as much as possible, but also ask for as much help from other people and network. And there's so many things I'm sure younger musicians know about that I don't, you know, as far as marketing on the web. But, but I'd say just be persistent. Let's circle it back to Max Creek. Yeah. Let me ask you a softball question right. What's your favorite Max Creek song? Ooh. Oh, boy. Oh God, there's a lot. Oh man. Um, it's going to be a Scott song and it's going to be, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to say Emerald Eyes for some reason. Do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's other, other ones that I love. There's something about the Emerald Eyes that I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the chord progression or the story. I love the story of the, the lyrics. Every time they would play it, I, I, I would just get sucked in. And it's beautiful guitar work. Oh, my God. Just I remember sitting there just watching from the side of the stage, just going, like, oh, my God. Like I get to see this person play guitar, and I'm 20, 30 feet away, 
and he's doing things more incredible than, you know, people on TV. I'm like, what? how lucky am I? <laughs> it was like a free guitar lesson of... I can't even I can't even put it into words. Scott Scott's playing is just brilliant. I I have to say he's you know he's just up there with everybody for me. He's just, he's got his own sound, his own thing, and I love his songwriting and singing. And it just something about that particular song uh, just hits me here. It always makes me feel super emotional, and it's I just love that song. I, I can't put my finger on why but i think that might be it <laughs> okay gary if fans of the podcast want to get in touch with you or learn more about your music what should they do first thing probably just go to gary backstrom band on facebook and once we start <laughs> playing shows again go to garybackstrom.com that has um that actually has some links to a lot of our stuff that's on archive we're on archive.org uh, one song is on Spotify right now called The Story. Uh, there, we have a whole album we're almost done with. There will be three more songs on Spotify, uh, let's say, in the next month. Um, other avenues to get a hold of me. Yeah, really, just GaryBackstrom.com and Gary Backstrom Band uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Those are hooked together. Um, and yeah, and, and please watch out for... New music. If you were a Jiggle the Handle uh, or Jiggle the Creek fan, I, I and I've, I've lost touch with you somehow. I would love to see you. I've been playing in Connecticut and reconnecting with some people that would go to see Creek and see us. And I, I, I'm trying to reconnect with people. Um, so I'm I'm hoping some old familiar faces will pop back up. Have a great new band. It's eight pieces, backup singers, horn, percussion. It's really, it's kind of like picks up where Jiggle left off and has a whole bunch of new material as well as we do the old favorites. Um, and we really would love to see you. So drop me a note on Facebook and you can sign up on the band page and let me know you're out there. <laughs> great. All right, Gary Backstrom, thank you for joining me on Hooked on Creek. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to meet you. And hopefully we'll talk again. It was a lot of fun talking with Gary and learning about his music and hearing about his love of Max Creek. And now I have a very special treat for you because Gary was nice enough to send me a track from the new Gary Backstrom Band album that is coming out soon. This is Aliento.
that concludes episode 25 of Hooked on Creek. As always, let me know if you have suggestions for future episodes or recommendations on people to interview for this podcast. You can get in touch with me via the contact link on the Hooked on Creek website at hookedoncreek.com or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Hooked on Creek to get connected. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in.